0: Ready? Born ready.
1: where the party at, your favorite political podcast. Thank you for listening to find out what you need to know in Atlanta, Georgia, and in national politics. We've got a great show for you today, and we're gonna dive right in, starting with the ATL. So first up, uh, an update on something we talked about on the show maybe a week or two ago. Um, Atlanta is officially going to have a new police chief. Chief Rodney Bryant is scheduled to retire in June. Now, just a reminder, after the Rayshard Brooks shooting that happened, and I think that was 2020, um, Erica Shields, she was the police chief at the time, decided to resign. And Then that's when Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms tapped Rodney Bryant, who had already retired once from APD, to come back, uh, but this time in the role of police chief. So uh, I mentioned, I think this was last week, that Mayor Dickens said that he was, when he first got elected, he was going to give Rodney Bryant 100 days. Those 100 days are up. And the mayor said officially, quote, I'm looking for a chief that knows Atlanta, that loves Atlanta. So the city is going to do a national search. Um, they also said they're going to look at folks within the department. So by the way, the mayor has a goal of hiring 250 police officers a year. That's a lot of folks that he's got to try to find. Um, so we don't know yet who the interim chief will be, but that will obviously be somebody already within the department. And then sometime in the coming months, we'll have a new police chief. All right, kind of keeping with that public safety theme, let's talk about bail. So back in 2018, the Atlanta City Council, and then at the time, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, she was the mayor then, approved something called bail reform for the Atlanta Municipal Court. So the idea here was that small, petty issues, the person in trouble would be allowed to do what's called a signature bond instead of having to actually post money like a financial bond in order to avoid being in jail uh, and the what the community activists and kind of bail re- reform folks wanted was that they didn't want someone sitting in jail just because they couldn't afford, you know, a $200 bond or a $1000 bond. And so a signature bond is basically um a note, right? So you sign something that says I promise to show up in court at the time of my trial. Period. That's it. Your word is your bond on that. So Channel 2, that's WSB, reported last week that before the city changed the cash bond policy, around 2,400 people skipped court every month. But in the 14 months since the courts have reopened since the pandemic, that number has increased by 80%. So 4,300 people on average are skipping court every month. So the woman who administers the court, she's called the court administrator, said that uh, the court has issued failure to appear warrants to about 8,000 people this year already. We're only in April of 2022. And about 10,000 people Have been referred to the state for suspension of their driving licenses. Yikes. These are mostly traffic and quality of life citations. So the folks that are not showing back up to court, they're not like murderers or anything like that. Uh, But I mean, geez, like the last thing you want to have happen is you get pulled over for a traffic violation and you find out your license is, is suspended just because... You didn't go to court months ago, so I would encourage you, if you're one of the people tuning in and you might have this problem, to try to get that fixed. All right, another Atlanta thing. Y'all, is it just me, um, or are you also noticing a lot of homeless encampments and just people living in tents, like more and more people living in tents around the city, all around Atlanta? Uh, Heather Buckner, who is a reporter and editor over at Atlanta Magazine, she just wrote a long piece about homelessness in the city, and she interviewed a number of people who were experiencing homelessness and then people who work in the space. Uh, one person is Dr. Elizabeth Beck. She is a professor at Georgia State um, at the Andy Young School of Policy Studies, and she also co-wrote a book called The Homelessness Industry, a Critique of U.S. Social Policy. So in this interview with Heather, Dr. Beck says, and I quote, we live in a country that produces the condition of homelessness. And then she goes on to talk about, you know, that you we had a social safety net, um, but that social safety net is essentially, you know, nonprofits, private providers, police agencies, people who are part of the system to treat the symptom of homelessness, but not actually fixing the root cause. So what is actually prompting or or having that homeless individual get in that place in the first place, right? What happens in their life that puts them in that position? Um, and too often she mentions that we focus so much on, the individual failure, right? So you didn't pull yourself up by your bootstraps, um, rather than trying to think through what are the policies that we can do to help this individual in the long run. Uh, so there's actually an Atlanta homeless union, uh, that was formed mm-hmm. along with an organization called Soul Underground. Uh, these are, that's a mutual aid organization and together they're trying to fight this narrative that the folks in Atlanta who are homelessness, who are experiencing homelessness, are because of their own individual failures, and they just can't get their lives together. Uh, a couple things that they're fighting is something called street sweeps. So this is basically where uh, APD, that's the Atlanta Police Department, and other groups would come in and tell folks like, "Hey, you got to leave this area. You have, you know, you either need to leave it right now, or you're going to have to leave it in a matter of weeks or days." Um, and the other is the other thing that the, these organizations, these two organizations are doing is trying to find as much temporary housing as possible for folks. That has really looked like, um, extended stay hotels, um, you know, maybe finding someone a room temporarily in a house or things of that sort. Um, but, you know, obviously at the end of the day, that's not sustainable and the goal really has to be to, address the policies and put forth like a, a long-term plan to help this individual get from the street to um, care, right? And, and having a place, a roof over their head uh, and a place to stay and food to eat and all of that. So um, within the policy realm, there's something called a Homeless Bill of Rights um, and in Georgia, we don't have a homeless bill of rights. We don't even have a tenant's bill of rights. So for people who actually can't afford to pay rent, uh, but a homeless bill of rights could include these things, uh, the right to use public spaces without fear of discrimination or harassment by law enforcement. And that's the one I just mentioned about fighting sweeps uh, to the right to vote. Uh, You might know that one of the big things is you have to have an address uh, to vote. And so if you're experiencing homelessness and you don't have an address, then that makes it that much more difficult for you to be able to vote because you may not have an identification and you need an identification card. And that card usually has your address on it. Uh, Number three, the right to non-obstructively seek shelter, social services, legal aid and education, uh, for the right to privacy of property in public spaces. That means the right to put up an encampment, the right to have a tent, uh, and that tent is private property within a public space, or it's, you have privacy within the tent, even if it's on a public space. And then the last thing is the right to feel safe. So those are, uh, an example of what a Homeless Bill of Rights could be. Now, I remember living downtown both when I was in college and um, after college, and there were a handful of people that I would see regularly that, you know, who were homeless individuals who just frequently hung around downtown. Uh, Now, the downtown business group, uh, I remember at one time they put up barriers to kind of block uh, individuals from sitting in parts of Woodruff Park, You might even remember a year or two ago when the state put up these huge concrete boulders under bridges as a way to stop homeless people from staying there too long. Now, these tactics are called hostile infrastructure. And the whole point is to make it where that person feels incredibly uncomfortable staying there for any extended period of time. But it doesn't actually solve the issue of homelessness. And so, um... I think you all probably read and see a lot of what's happened in Seattle, what's happened in L.A., uh, and if I'm noticing it, again, I'm sure a lot of other people are noticing it, and we have a question in Atlanta of what do we do to address homelessness and how do we work together to solve the problem? All right, now moving on to national, uh, a quick update on something we talk about probably every other show, student loan debt, because it's something I know y'all are interested in. So there's still no update from the Biden administration on if they're going to forgive $10,000 or any amount of student loan debt. Uh, I did mention on the show, uh, maybe a show or two ago, that they did extend when student loan payments will restart. Now, one big thing that they announced that I did not mention, and because it just didn't get a lot of coverage, and so I didn't even see it originally, uh, but it's something that you should know if you are a student, uh, if you have student loan debt from the federal government, the Department of Education said that borrowers who were in default before the pandemic will receive what they're calling a quote-unquote fresh start once the payments resume. And that fresh start is basically that They're going to remove from your credit report um, that you were in default for that period of time. Um, And so that could increase your credit score by up to 100 points. It just depends on uh, your other credit. So that's a big deal. Um, That's something that is certainly worth mentioning, um, and you should certainly pay attention to that if you have student loan debt. Another one for you. Have you ever heard of the American Accountability Foundation? I had not, um, so might be foreign to you too. Uh, they are a Republican group with a singular goal. What is that goal? To stop the approval of as many Biden nominees as possible. In fact, this is what their website reads, and I quote, we are working to ensure that leaders within the federal government reflect the values and concerns of the American people, not the liberal coastal elites and their woke allies in corporate America. <laughs> okay, uh, so the American Accountability Foundation, they spotlight or target Certain nominees, I mean, they they try to go after every nominee, but there are certain ones that they put particular emphasis on. One of them, no surprise, was Kentaji Brown Jackson. Of course, we now can call her Supreme Court Justice Jackson. Uh, the attacks that they pushed out against her were that she allegedly gave out soft sentences to sex offenders. Um, we know that she was indeed confirmed and that some Republicans did actually vote for her. But even though she was confirmed, the American Accountability Foundation planted just enough doubt and enough, you know, eyebrow raising that folks felt that she was not fit to be on the Supreme Court, or at least some people felt that way. Um, they also helped kill the nomination of at least four people. Uh, the biggest one, at least politically, the biggest one was Sarah Bloom Raskin who Biden had nominated to the Federal Reserve. And why was that a big deal? Because she is the wife of Jamie Raskin. Now, if that's a name that sounds vaguely familiar, it's because he, Jamie Raskin, was the lead impeachment manager for Trump's second impeachment. So defeating the wife of a prominent congressperson is a big deal. Uh, The guy leading the AAF uh, said this on Fox News, and I quote, we are taking a big handful of sand and throwing it in the gears of the Biden administration, making it as difficult as impossible for the president and his allies on Capitol Hill to implement their agenda. And what's interesting, again, about this group is they're not just targeting You know, the heads of the various cabinet positions, right? So it's not just everyone who's on the cabinet level. They're targeting people even below the cabinet level. And they said the reason why they're going to that second tier is that those are the folks who are really doing the day to day work of implementing the Biden agenda. And so this, the New Yorker has a very long, but really good read on this whole thing. Uh the people behind uh this group include at least one prominent trumper um and again, what's different about this group is that they don't just pounce on someone uh you know a nominee's past right so it's not just like, oh, you know we know that so and so was in got in trouble in college for doing blah 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 like they go ask people to anonymously submit tips and dig up dirt. Now, there's certainly a Democratic version of this group, uh, but they have not been as ruthless um, and as just very clear in their approach and what their agenda is. And so this just reminds me that, unfortunately, just so much of what we see in Washington today is just political theater uh, and that both parties, frankly, are really removed from what it is that people... The everyday person is dealing with what the everyday person wants to know and have uh, help on. We are how many days into Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and the situation is getting worse and worse. Uh, you may recall President Biden a couple of weeks ago, he made an off-the-cuff remark saying that Vladimir Putin must go. And then the White House kind of, you know, sort of retracted it, walked it back a bit Uh, But even before he did that, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham said the same thing. Now, there's another person who doesn't usually use quite that type of, um, you know, language or is that uh, stark in his comments. Um, But he is certainly hinting at the same thing as Biden and Lindsey Graham. That person is Senator Chris Coons of Delaware. He actually took over. Joe Biden's seat in the Senate um, when when Joe Biden went to become vice president. So Coons is one of the president's go-to people on national security uh, and international relations. And so take a listen to what Coons said on one of the Sunday political talk shows. In some public remarks this week, you said um, the country needs to talk about when it might be willing to send troops to Ukraine. You said if the answer is never, then we are inviting another level of escalation and brutality by Putin. Are you arguing that President Biden was wrong when he said he would not send troops to Ukraine? Are you asking him to set a red line?
0: Margaret, I think those of us in Congress who have a critical role in setting foreign policy uh, and in advising uh, the president in terms of his decisions as commander in chief uh, need to look clearly uh, at the level of brutality. This is a moment of enormous challenge for all of us. uh, And I deeply respect President Biden's leadership in pulling together the West, in imposing crushing sanctions uh, on Russia, and in bringing to this fight countries that had stayed on the sidelines before. President Biden's leadership has been steady and constructive. But this is a critical moment. If Vladimir Putin, who has shown us how brutal he can be, is allowed to just continue uh, to uh, massacre civilians, to commit war crimes um, throughout Ukraine uh, without NATO, without the West uh, coming more forcefully to his aid, um, I I deeply worry that what's going to happen next is that we will see Ukraine turn into Syria. Mm -hmm. The American people cannot turn away from this tragedy in Ukraine, I think the history of the 21st century turns on how fiercely we Mm -hmm. defend freedom in Ukraine, and that Putin will only stop when we stop him.
1: So, Koons went on to say that he's worried Ukraine will become Syria. Uh, You might vaguely remember this, but Syria has been in a civil war since 2011. People have fled to neighboring countries. The economy is basically in the tank. And the UN, that's the United Nations, estimates that 400,000 people have died in that war. And Syria is not a huge country. So the United States is talking about sending a high-level person or two uh, to Ukraine, to Kiev. Uh, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, he went to Kiev a couple of weeks ago. Now, I don't think we'll see Biden there. Uh, that's one of, That's a hard calculation to make. Like, is the risk really worth it? Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but I do think we could at least see the Secretary of State um, or another high-level cabinet member uh, go instead of the president. Turn off the, lights. The, party's over. <laughs> the party is over. Close the gates. What? All
0: right, party's over. Everyone go home. Are you sure you want to invite this party pooper to poop on your party? I'm the party pooper.
1: <laughs> All right, so this week, just like last week, I have two party poopers. Uh, the first is a company called Global Strategy Group. There's a saying I'm sure you've heard of, all money ain't good money. And that's a lesson GSG is learning the hard way. So who are they, Global Strategy Group? They are a Democratic polling and political consulting company They were hired by Amazon last year, allegedly to help Amazon defeat these unionization efforts. Uh, The guy heading Amazon or heading comms and policy for Amazon used to actually be Obama's communications director, the president of President Obama's communications director. So there are some ties between Amazon um, and Democrats already. So. Their company, Global Strategy Group, is now losing Democratic clients, including the SEIU. That's a service employees union. And they also just lost MoveOn. That's MoveOn.org, which is a big Democratic organization. Uh, and this is all because of allegedly GSG was helping Amazon defeat the unionization efforts. But so far, it looks like big groups like EMILY's List or the DCCC, if you are that's a political lingo, the DCCC is the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Uh, so far, big groups like those two have not yet said they would cut ties with GSG. But GSG is saying, hold up, the news reports are inaccurate. We weren't helping Amazon fight the unions. But they didn't say what they were actually hired by Amazon to do. Uh, but they did say that they are no longer working with Amazon. So that's a bit interesting. Um, Y'all have heard me say this before. I think a way for Dems to win big in 2022 and even in 24 uh, is to focus on protecting workers' rights and ensuring that workers receive a fair wage. And really, this isn't you can couch this in a way that's about The American dream, right? So you want to be able to work hard, earn a good living, and be able to own that house with the picket fence and the 2.5 kids and the dog. Uh, You can't do that when income inequality is insanely uh, crazy. You can't do that when housing prices are completely unaffordable. You can't do that when you have inflation going through the roof. And so, you know, one way, again, I think for Democrats to win is to put together some policies that actually help the everyday person. GSG, that's the reason why they are uh, one of my party poopers for the week. Um, and I think, you know, Democrats generally need to figure out what's the line that they're willing uh, to toe between hiring a union-busting consulting firm, allegedly, um, and at the same time saying that you're advocating for and supporting workers. All right, uh, there's another party pooper, and this one is a little weird, guys. Um So there's a push on the political right uh to protect an endangered species. What is that endangered species, might you ask? The heterosexual man, the manly man. So I am giving this week's party pooper award to Tucker Carlson, who has... The number one show on Fox News and in cable, period. So Tucker has this show called, like, I think it's called Tucker Carlson Originals or something like that. And I swear to God, I saw the promo and I think he is punking us. The first episode is about how testosterone levels are decreasing in men. Now, granted, in the United States, we're also seeing heightened fertility problems with women, too. But so Tucker has this fitness fitness instructor on to talk about testicle tanning. I'm not kidding. Even Kid Rock, who was the next guest on the show as he's, you know, the previous guest was the fitness instructor talking about testicle tanning. So Kid Rock was listening to it and he was next on the show and he was like, what? Like, what the heck is this? So (laughs) take a listen
0: ladies and gentlemen so our dude our cameraman dude, I, I, I think Tom fox is in your house right now he, he is dude stop testicle tanning come on <laughs> I mean, yeah yeah i haven't heard anything open, that open a long your, time. Open your starting, mind bobby I'm, I'm starting a punk rock band and it's called testicle tanning. That's the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll be massively successful. But I mean, don't you think at this point when so many of the therapies, the paths they've told us to take have turned out to be dead ends that have really hurt people, why wouldn't open-minded people seek new solutions? I, I don't know what the hell is going on in this world. I'm not even sure if I understood that question, but some days I just want to stop this planet and let me <laughs> off. Like,
1: All right. So what's so weird to me is like the promo for the show looks so gay. And I don't know if I could say that, but it's just it does not look like a promo for something that's all about protecting the hetero manly man. Like every clip is just so bizarre. So, for all my manly men or wanna be manly men, y'all, please don't look to Tucker Carlson for advice. If you show up to a party talking like that, I think it's safe to say you're probably an incel. <laughs> the testicle tanning guy is calling this bromeopathy, which I guess is Tucker trying to become like the right-wing version of Gwyneth Paltrow I'm with Kid Rock on this. I don't know what the heck is going on. Let's get it started in here. Oh, I'm the party starter. Get this party, get this party started. Get this party started. Get this party started. What's rule number one? Rule number
0: one. Rule number one.
1: Party. party, party. All right, and now for the party starter. This week's party starter is Brian Kemp. Dude is winning left and right lately. So a new poll came out that shows he is beating David Perdue by a country mile. Meaning if this holds, if the poll results hold, Kemp will avoid a runoff. Plus, a federal judge ruled last week that Stacey Abrams cannot have the Democrats create a leadership committee to help her raise unlimited money. Now, you might remember that we talked about this, geez, maybe four episodes or so ago. Now, the the Georgia General Assembly passed a law that lets the governor, the opposing party's gubernatorial nominee, that would be Stacey, and the party caucuses to raise money while the Georgia General Assembly is in session. Now, as it stands, it gives the incumbent an advantage. So Stacey and David Perdue both sued to stop Kemp from being able to use this tool, but that failed. Then Stacey argued that since she doesn't have a primary opponent, then she should be treated as the nominee. She is the opposing party's gubernatorial nominee. Uh, but a judge said, no, you were only the nominee after a primary, which is a little, sh- I mean, I get it. This is one of those tough ones, right? Because she does not have a primary opponent, so she effectively is the nominee. But the judge said, regardless of that, you're no- you can't be the nominee until after people have actually voted for you in the primary, even though there's not an opponent. Um, but had this had gone through, Stacey would have been eligible to raise money through a leadership committee just like Governor Brian Kemp can. And in fact, he has raised $2.3 million that we know of so far from the Republican Leadership Committee. Uh, He got Sonny Perdue in as Chancellor of the Board of Regents. Sonny Perdue is the cousin of David Perdue, and he is not supporting his cousin's own uh, attempt to challenge Kemp in the primary. Uh, Kemp's uh, national profile is rising. I mean, all in all, Kemp is having a strong year. So given the poll results uh, that came out, plus uh, the fact that the judge ruled um, against Stacey Abrams and in favor, uh, well, just really against Stacey Abrams. So because of those two things, Kemp is the party starter. He is having a heck of a year, a heck of a week. All right, y'all. That is today's show. A little bit shorter than usual, but appreciate you all as always for tuning in. Have a fantastic uh, Tuesday. If you're listening to this on launch day, by the way, I hope you had a great Easter, a happy Passover for those who celebrate Passover. If you're still, if you uh, celebrate or participate in Ramadan and you're still fasting, uh, wishing you all the best. And I hope that once you break your fast, that those meals are extra special, uh, and that you really enjoy the time with your family and friends. All right, y'all, that is today's show. Have a fantastic rest of the week and we will see you next time on Where the Party At. Thank you.